0: It's been a tough couple of days. We're on day five right now. We've learned that 22 Americans have been killed in the Israeli massacre done by a a group of terrorist animals. We're going to get into all of it, but we're going to start first on the news of the Speaker of the House. Hey, maybe a little good news in that, you know, maybe we finally have one, although it may not be who you want, I'll tell you that. We'll see, because, you know, last time around, What did it take, like some 15 rounds before we finally got a Speaker of the House? It was rather incredible, was it not? 14 votes. On on number 15, Kevin McCarthy was confirmed. Now, that was the warning sign if there ever was one, was there (laughs) was it not? Hello, welcome to a live edition, everyone, of the Trish Regan Show. So good to see so many of you here, so many familiar faces. I want to remind you that we are brought to you in part by LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you're interested in investing in gold, if you're interested in investing in silver, this is the company that you need to go and see. Let me see if I can find their number here for you. I would give them a ring at one eight six six five eight nine zero five six zero. Again, it's one eight six 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 five we'll put it in the show notes as well legacy pminvestments.com all right let's get to business here because as i said we do have a new speaker of the house on the way of course you know he's only gotten through round one and that would be that would be drum roll please shall we <laughs> Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise, I know he wasn't necessarily everybody's first pick. I know a lot of you wanted to see Donald Trump in there. I know a lot of you, myself included, actually, were very interested in seeing Jim Jordan, only because Jim Jordan has this background in economics. I mean, he promotes that he was a wrestler in college, but he actually was an economics major, and we could use a few people who had their heads screwed on, right, as far as the economy goes these days. But Jim Jordan is now supporting Steve Scalise, and so you're seeing people coalesce around Steve Scalise you know Matt Gates coming out in favor of Steve Glees, Matt Gates, the congressman from Florida, being the one that launched this whole thing, right, to get McCarthy out of there. And so Steve Glees, who is a conservative, he's somebody who has backed Trump, um, somebody who certainly is very, very well thought of. But the question now becomes, can he take it to the finish line? You have Nancy Mace, you have Lauren Brobart, you got Max Miller that are kind of on the fence. You know what's going to need to happen, everyone, in order for this to go smoothly? Everybody's going to have to come on board because I'll tell you one thing, we don't want Joaquin... Jeffries, Hakeem Jeffries there, the Democrat becoming Speaker of the House. That's not really gonna happen. I'm I'm kind of kidding on that front. But, you know, there there are there are crazier things. I would say this Donald Trump is still expected to make an appearance there in DC. And while he had been supporting Jim Jordan, I want to point out that Jim Jordan is now supporting Steve Scalise. So look, I think the bottom line here is Everybody's been a little shaken up by the events of the last five days, really, that have been unfolding since the weekend. And there is a desire to kind of just jump on board with someone, someone that can show some leadership. Again, I would only point out that Jim Jordan had the economics background. Jim Jordan has been all over, all over the Biden administration in terms of trying to figure out just exactly what was going down there with Hunter Biden, and I appreciate That sentiment and his inquisitiveness and his constant questioning and his desire to launch this impeachment inquiry, which it felt like, you know, with Kevin McCarthy, it was like kicking and screaming, was it not? I mean, it just took forever. And that was sort of surprising to see. So now we're at the point here where it's going to be taken to the floor and it's really important that all the Republicans come and, and, and vote in favor of one guy. Otherwise, we're going to go through these multiple rounds again. And should that happen, Donald Trump's like, hey, hey, you know, I'm here. I, I, I'm I, willing, sort of. I mean, I don't think he really wants this because he's very focused on the presidency and it would kind of be a distraction. And, you know, he, he wants to focus on, on the big play, if you would, and that would be becoming the next president of the United States. But he's still said, look, if push comes to shove and we're really in a bind, I'll, I'll do what I need to do. Remember Steve Bannon, of course, pushing this idea. I've showed you this sound before. Steve Bannon saying, look, if we could just get Trump in there for 100 days, he could really solve a whole lot of problems. And and the feeling was, you know, that he he would be able to kind of bring people together and also take uh, a red marker to the budget line. Here he
1: is. I mean, the images that we're seeing. Forgive me, of, no. Of- wrong,
0: wrong sound. Uh, anyway, you, you've seen it a couple of times. Steve Bannon really making this push. A hundred days of Trump, wanting to make sure that he's in there to kind of help solve some of these things. So whether or not we really are able to uh, see that, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's in the cards. I know a lot of people would like to see it, but that's something that um, would really be kind of far fetched at this point. At this point, you got Matt Gates coming out in favor of Steve Scalise. You've got Jim Jordan who was running they're in favor of Steve Scalise. And one would anticipate that Donald Trump also then would be also in favor of Steve Scalise. So the important thing is, you know, Speaker of the House coming forward and hopefully somebody who will really take the initiative to make sure that we are more proactive on the budgeting front, that we are more proactive in terms of forcing Democrats to really be more thoughtful about their spending because the $33 trillion and counting cannot continue. I mean, despite what Biden's new plan to forgive student- loan debt yet again. I mean, they they just keep coming forward with all of these ridiculous handouts. And, uh, you know, it's it's a sensitive time. Right now we're learning that it cannot be done, that the the Israeli funding cannot be tied to the Ukraine funding. So that little sort of maneuver that some might have been hoping for is is probably going to be gone. There's a lot of focus, obviously, on Israel right now. And Ukraine funding, let's face it, I think the American public has become increasingly fatigued with. I think the the American public is disappointed to say the least in the amount of graft that we have seen there in Ukraine. Because when you're asking for $24 billion and you learn that they have to keep firing the defense ministers as well as the defense minister deputies because all of this money is going off to, you know, I don't know, Dubai, well then you got some problems. The other fear, of course, is that some of these weapons, et cetera, may have been sold off in sort of underground channels. We do not have any proof of that thus far. We do not know that any of the weaponry that was used by the terror group there, Hamas, terror group, mark my words, because you know what, not everybody's willing to say that, not even the New York Times, and we're going to get to that in a second. But the fact that they suddenly have the ability, the capability to to do what they did and do so in an undetected way is quite concerning and clearly with, with weapons that came from somewhere that were bought from someone. And so a lot of people, myself included, are demanding to know what the serial numbers are on all of that stuff, because I'll tell you one thing, it better not have come from Afghanistan. It better not have come from Ukraine. Most likely there's a chance, sadly, to say it did come from Afghanistan. In fact, some Israelis have I've seen in the reporting have said this is according to the IDF that they do believe that the weaponry came from Afghanistan. Of course, we flew out of Afghanistan way too fast, stupidly, left a whole bunch of equipment there, expensive equipment, important equipment, and there was a total power vacuum. So what do you think happened? I mean, you put two and two together, for goodness sakes. You know, what do you think happened too? when we give we give Iran $6 billion, and yet we sit there and say, oh, you know, we don't really think Iran could have had anything to do with this, despite the fact that Iran has been the biggest supporter of Hamas and Hezbollah for years and years well that's when you know if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck i'm sorry it's a duck okay which brings us which brings us ladies and gentlemen to the challenges that we're facing there still in the middle east you've likely seen some of the images i was really just sort of choked up before i came to air i saw something that had been tweeted out of a baby's crib and it was all bloodied you saw a a, a little toy truck beneath it And you know the stories of the 40 babies having been decapitated in this one village. You know the stories now of the rapes, the executions of the hostages. We've learned that 22 Americans have died. We know that at least 17 have been taken hostage. And John Kirby from the Pentagon literally just came out moments ago and said, expect those numbers to move higher. So this is a very sad time, a very sad day. And it could get worse. Hamas is now calling for Friday, the 13th, to be a day for jihad. So these animals want this to be even worse. And I just want to remind everyone before, you know, you start finger pointing and you say, oh gosh, you know, look at how Israel is leveling Gaza. What do you expect Israel to do? Really and truly, because this is now a matter of, of Hamas being wiped out, being wiped out for good. You cannot have terrorists that exist like this. It's the same as us with ISIS. Now you're going to do everything you can, obviously, to protect innocent people. But Israel has to go after the terrorists that inflicted this pain and this devastation and destruction on their country. They do not have a choice, and they have been given the green light, effectively also by Joe Biden and the United States of America and the rest of the world, except for, of course, the U.N., the U.N. and Bernie Sanders- and Rashida Talib, Rashida Talib, who's still hanging the Palestinian flag outside her office. We know where her allegiance is, along with a bunch of kids at Harvard and Columbia, my own alma mater. Oh, and UVA, UVA can't be outdone, University of Virginia, Northwestern. I mean, come on. You know what? This should be a giant wake-up call for every single parent out there. Think long and hard about whether it's worth it to send your children to these academic institutions that want to brainwash them and turn them into people who would be apologists for terror groups. Look at what these Harvard kids say. I, I, I want to I show you this. Not even the administration is condoning this, okay? Nor are they condoning Rashida to leave and Cory Bush and the rest of these nut jobs. AOC actually has a little bit of common sense, not like Bernie does, but she's actually come out and said that she can't stand with anybody that's standing with the Palestinians on this. She's come out and condemned those people that were marching, chanting against Israel for Palestine in Times Square the other day. But let's go first to this Harvard statement. <laughs> Wow, what a group. Joint statement by Harvard-Palestine Solidarity Groups on the Situation in Palestine. We, the undersigned student organizations, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. There you go. They said it right off the top. That's their headline. They learn how to write a headline there at Harvard. They don't learn how to think, apparently. They don't learn any kind of actual sensitivity. They just learn how to write a headline. The headline being they hold... Israel responsible Israel is responsible for for those young women being paraded through the streets by terrorists proud that their crotches were filled with blood to show off the rape Israel is responsible for decapitated babies Israel Is responsible for executed elderly people or or people burned alive? This is what is being allowed and condoned and accepted and glorified at our nation's most famous, most prestigious academic institutions. Are you kidding me? It's disgusting. And the president of Harvard University, Claudine Gay, who, by the way, I actually went to high school with, apparently. She's older than me. She might have been a senior or something when I was a freshman, but she went to my prep school in New Hampshire. And Claudine Gay is now the president of Harvard University. And she's too darn weak to stand up to these kids. She's too darn scared for her own job. It took Larry Summers, the former president of Harvard University, to come out against them. It took Bill Ackman, the very famous hedge fund manager who has donated millions of dollars to Harvard to say enough. And this is great, guys. You know what he did? (laughs) Bill Ackman tweeted out, you know what? I'm demanding that Harvard give us the names of all of those students that signed that. All of those students that are part of those organizations. Because we need to make sure that we don't hire them. Exactly. Why would you ever hire a student that sympathizes with terrorists? And he went on to explain, rightly so, that he's all for free speech. But you know what? You can't anonymously. Go out there and sign something like that and just stand behind the anonymity of it and the reputation and prestige of Harvard or Columbia or even UVA, which, by the way, well, you know, different school, but Harvard, Columbia, even UVA. You can't stand there and sit there behind the the name brand of these institutions and not actually put your name to it and think that you're going to get hired. Uh Uh-uh, not happening. You believe in free speech, you put your name on the thing. You tell us who you are, and then we can have a conversation. I may not agree with you. In fact, I may be utterly disgusted by you. But we'll have a conversation, at least if you're willing to admit who you are. So the president of Harvard, she's got herself in quite a pickle. She's come out with some milk-toast, mealy-mouthed statement saying, you know, that she doesn't, you know, condone necessarily these 30 groups at Harvard. I would just say this. You know what? You reap what you sow. You really reap what you sow, guys. And this has come to the point, this has come to the point where uh, <laughs> where you now have a giant mess. You have a student body that is sympathizing with terrorists over the victims. And that's pretty messed up. I'll tell you what we need right now, guys we need sanctions on steroids before I get to that. You know, I know how hard this is and I know how demoralizing it is. And I know all of us feel like we want to do something and you know the last couple of days, I, I've been like, gosh, you know what can we do? What can I do? and and it's for that reason, I'm really proud to tell you I've partnered with the International Federation of Christians and Jews and they have an emergency emergency fund that they're raising. I want to share that phone number here with you. You can see it on the screen if you're watching this live, it's one eight hundred two four eight. Eight, 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 one. In fact, um, we have a, this is so new guys. There's actually a typo in it. So just know that that's eight, 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 one. Again, it's the International Federation of Christians and Jews. They have an emergency uh, pool of capital that they're raising to go into these communities and help these poor people in some of the worst, worst places. One, 800-248-8881. I will put that number in the show links as well. I will put their their link if you want to go online and, and donate. Listen, it doesn't take much, you know, whatever you have, five dollars, a dollar, ten dollars, or something much more. I, I know that, you know, we all want to feel like we can contribute in some way, shape, or form, myself included. And so I, I'm proud to be partnering with these guys and I'm proud that we can together try and do something. A hundred percent of your donation will go to those victims in Israel. So consider that today, 1-800-248-8881. i am looking at your comments there in the live chat. Let me see if I can actually put that to you guys. <laughs> Abel writing, stop giving to Harvard. Isn't that the truth? You know what? I'm sorry. Stop giving to Harvard. Stop sending your kids to Harvard. Stop thinking that Harvard is anything. I just I just read a, a wonderful article that someone sent me in the San Francisco press about a kid. It doesn't sound wonderful, but it's wonderful because it shows you how useless these universities are. Totally, totally, totally useless. About a kid who got rejected from everywhere, literally everywhere. Like he applied to 16 schools and well, he got into two of them, I guess, got rejected from 14 of them. And he had something like a 4.3 GPA and nearly a 1600 on his SAT. Kid was brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, interested in math and sciences. And no one would take him. He was Asian. Of course, that's partly what the whole Supreme Court thing was about, right? Because it wasn't fair. They were discriminating against Asians who are also minorities, you know, And and the kid couldn't get in anywhere. Well, guess what? Google offered him a big job. So I looked at that and I said, you know what? Colleges are irrelevant. Harvard may not want you, but you know what? Google still does because Google is still a capitalist enterprise. And that is, that's just the reality. Okay. So these stupid schools with their stupid kids who are off in la la land, enough, enough, enough. That is not the real world, but you know what the real world is? The real world is a place where we need sanctions. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But before I do, as I said, do what you can, if you can, any little bit helps to, to to help the people on the ground, the victims in Israel right now that are dealing with all of this tragedy and this horror, 1-800-248-8881. That is the number. It's the International Federation of Christian and Jews. Have you seen the New York Times? We talk about the colleges and these academic institutions. We talk about the likes of Bernie Sanders and Rashida Tlaib. Well, you know, the New York Times is no better. I want to share with you an article. This was pointed out on Twitter, and they went back and looked at some of the archives. So this is it has been authenticated. This is the New York Times just yesterday talking about, here we go, how Hamas leaves terror of terror trail of terror in Israel, and they're referring to Hamas in the first version of the article as Hamas terrorists. And then, remember that, remember that, guys, Hamas terrorists. You see it in bright yellow? Well, then, shortly thereafter, they published another version of the article, and they changed Hamas terrorists to, uh, take a look, Hamas gunmen. Again, trying to offer apologies For terrorists, and I'm sorry, it's not acceptable. It is not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. For the New York Times to do that, it shows you where their mindset is. It shows you when you see how MSNBC refers to Hamas, quote-unquote, fighters, not terrorists. These are terrorists. Let's be very clear. Anybody who's who's decapitating babies and raping women and executing elderly and taking hostages and threatening to kill them on live television. These are terrorists, period, full stop. Here's Jonathan Greenblatt on MSNBC calling out, calling out the producers straight to their face for their word choices. Good for him, president of the ADL.
2: So while I am sad and cope, trying to cope, I'll be honest, I am angry. I am angry with the world that allowed the dehumanization of Israelis and sanitized the terrorism of Hamas. I must say, I love this show, and I love this network, but I've got to ask, who is writing the scripts? Hamas, the people who did this, they are not fighters, Jonathan. They are not militants, and I'm looking right at the camera. They are terrorists. It is a barbarian who rapes... And brutalizes women, who tear, kills children in front of their parents, and then brings them over to Gaza, who literally, we've heard all these reports, and we know these aren't just reports. These were filmed gleefully by the barbarians who committed these grotesque crimes. They filmed, for example, an elderly woman in her home in one of these towns. They burned her alive in her house because she was too infirm to take out. And, you know, parading women, bleeding from the crotch because they were raped throughout Gaza while people hoot and holler and cheer. So look, you know, when we say, oh, this was an escalation, it was bound to happen. I am sorry. This was a massacre that was preplanned. This was not destined to happen. It is not normal to shoot teenagers in the back, hundreds of them. So I just think, like, guys, get this story right. And all these pictures of, like, you know, m- m- missiles or the rubble in Gaza, please talk to the Israeli mothers and fathers who lost their children talk to the grandchildren whose grandparents were seized as hostages and please stop calling this a retaliation this is a defensive measure against an organization that is committed to one thing killing jews not a peaceful resolution of a conflict but murdering jews and if you're wondering if i'm exaggerating please I beg of you, everyone watching and everyone at this network, just watch the footage.
0: Yeah. So he got it right. MSC, NBC, they've got it wrong. New York Times gets it wrong. Rashida Tlaib gets it wrong. Bernie Sanders gets it wrong. And you know who else gets it wrong? The United Nations that also wants to blame Israel. to launch a siege on Gaza and deprive civilians of essential resources for survival, which is prohibited under international humanitarian law. Destruction of infrastructure and streets in Gaza has hindered the movement of civil defensive medical teams trying to reach victims. The position of sieges that endanger the lives of civilians by depriving them of goods essential for their survival is prohibited under international humanitarian law. So so they're allowed to do that to Israel, and Israel's just supposed to take it. I'm sorry. You know, Israel for years had a policy of containment, and they tried to work with them, and they're giving out 15,000 work visas, and they moved their settlements back, including g- digging up graves of Israelis who be- had been, been buried there and moving them back to Israel. And you know what they learned, thanks to what happened this weekend, what they learned was that none of it's ever going to matter because when you have terrorists in charge, by the way, I'm not saying the entire group of people is like this. I'm talking about the terrorists of Hamas, like ISIS, that are in charge. When you have terrorists in charge, they're not interested in a two-state solution. They don't care. They thrive off of conflict. They thrive off of this is where they get their power, okay? And, and this is how they manipulate their people. And when we can't stand up for any of this, I'll tell you, there's not a lot of hope for us. Let's talk about the the Kardashian girl, uh, Jenner. What's her name? Kyle, Kylie Jenner. You know, I don't talk about the Kardashians much because I don't have a whole lot of, you know, whatever interest in them. But this is Kylie Jenner. And she, she, she stood with Israel for like a few hours. Okay. <laughs> a few hours on her Instagram account, saying that she was now and always standing with the people of Israel. So she did that until, oopsie, what do you know, people got a little upset. And so suddenly she took it down. She lost like two point something million followers. I'm sorry, girl. Take a stand, okay? Or don't. Frankly, don't because you're the fashion model that sells makeup or something like, so just don't take a stand. We don't need to hear it. In fact, more entertainers just need to not take stands. Leave that to people who try to actually put some thought into this. Okay. Because once you take a stand, like you got to own it. You don't, you don't go running for the hills and say, oopsie, you know, oh gosh, I lost my 2 million followers. You know me, guys, like you know me. Like I take all kinds of stands. I get in all kinds of trouble in all kinds of places, right? I do believe I'm not at Fox for a reason. (laughs) That's okay. It's okay because I have my belief. I have my conviction, I have my pride, and I have my soul, and I have you. And there are gonna be times when you love me and you agree with everything I say. And there are gonna be times when you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ever listened to that woman. (laughs) But hopefully, hopefully more than Not. You agree with me. But even if you don't, it's still important to watch because you know that whatever I'm saying comes from a place with a lot of heart and a lot of soul. And I'm not the kind that will just say one thing and say, oh my gosh, I lost my followers. Gosh, I better change my tune. Well, I'll tell you who's going to lose more than just followers. And that would be these ladies over there at the squad. AOC, of course, is, is coming out condemning what she saw, rightly so, there in Times Square. The pro Palestine movement, where people were just really, I mean, they just, they'd make your skin crawl. You're like, who are these animals that are actually chanting about how wonderful this is that that children are being slaughtered and women raped and people being killed. The death toll now upwards of a thousand in Israel. Who could those people possibly, possibly be? Well, AOC came out and condemned them. Rashida Tlaib, Cory Bush, none of them are doing so. Ilhan Omar, nope, nope. Well, guess what? They're going to find themselves in a lot of trouble. And it's going to be more than 2.3 million followers that they lose. It might be more like 2.3 million dollars because who in the Democrat Party will give these people so much as a dime? Even the White House now came out and said how despicable they are. Imagine that. KJP, watch her here.
2: What is the president's message to members of Congress who seem to be equating the Hamas terror attack with actions that were previously taken by Israel?
0: Look, here's the thing, a- and which, which, which congressional members? Well, there have been
2: some members of Congress who have called for a ceasefire and they have not gone as far as uh, backing the administration's call for support for Israel.
0: So look, uh, I've seen some of those statements this weekend, uh, and we're gonna continue to be very clear. We believe they're wrong, uh, we believe they're repugnant, and we believe they're disgraceful. Uh, Our our condemnation belongs squarely with terrorists who have brutally murdered, raped, kidnapped hundreds, hundreds of Israelis. Uh, There can be no equivocation about that. There are not two sides here. No, there are not two sides. Did you hear that, Bernie Sanders? Did you hear that, Rashida Tlaib? Did you hear that, New York Times? Did you hear that, Washington Post? Washington Post, who, by the way, today announced it's laying off 10% of its staff. 240 people there at the Washington Post will be laid off. 10% of the paper's staff, of course, owned by one of the richest men in the world, Jeff Bezos. And the reason for that is, well... Nobody's reading the Washington Post anymore. I wonder why. I wonder why. You know, sometimes when you expose all that bias while trying to pretend that you're something else entirely, well, it doesn't sit so well with people. The papers lost $100 million basically in the last year. Since 2021, I'm going to share some of these numbers with you. Audience down 28%. Subscriptions off 15%. Print revenue down 10%. Digital ads down 30%. I mean, I guess you just can't be a mouthpiece for the CIA and expect that everybody's going to believe you and want to subscribe to you and hear your opinion on things, right? Look, I mean, the Washington Post has become part of the problem. Legacy media is so much part of the problem. And, and, And when you've got government trying to feed a narrative from the top down, telling you that, oh, Hunter Biden's laptop is nothing but Russian disinformation, misinformation fed to us courtesy of Rudy Giuliani via the Russians. And then it turns out, no, no, Hunter Biden's laptop was all real. And he was under investigation by the FBI. When you try and sell us that storyline or you try and tell us, that there was no chance in L -L that that coronavirus could have ever come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology while the Wuhan Institute was actually studying coronavirus bat viruses, including with some $600,000 in U.S. taxpayer funding. Well, you know what? People get a little tired of that. Tired of that. Yeah, because you sit there with your journalist thing with the capital J and people figure out you're really not all that. And you don't really know what you're talking about. You're just being fed something by whatever administration or opposition, because that's what the Democrats were when Trump was in power. Opposition wants you to print and they cut off their subscription again with authenticity being really the most important thing right now. It's hard to find. Is it not? I mean, because if you're authentic as a journalist and you work for a big organization, and if you dare to say like I did, hey, you know what? You need a strong economy to fight this thing, coronavirus, that is. We should not be shutting down the economy. We should not be seeing the market tank by 2,000 points. And beware, the left will use this as an issue when our economy tanks, which I predicted it would, even though it shouldn't have. It shouldn't have, believe me, because we never should have shut things down. We should have taken care of the people that needed to be taken care of. When you say things like that, and your network is like, well, then it, it reminds everybody, it reminds them that authenticity again is what matters. And so, these big institutions, whether they be big newspapers or whether they be the you know New York Times, there's a reason why Barry Weiss. Left the New York Times. She was kind of sick of it, right? Because she didn't, she didn't appreciate the the micromanagement that they had on their reporters. I mean, it's a very new day, and I think good journalists with strong convictions—and hopefully they have them—you gotta, you know, you gotta. I'm sorry, you know, you can give both sides, and I try to always give you guys both sides. You know that, but to pretend like I don't have a point of view would be silly. Or to pretend that you know that i I'm one side of the like it 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 just doesn't it doesn't make any sense and and I'd add this if I don't have a point of view, then what are the what the heck am I doing here like why would you subscribe to me? why would you listen why would you watch why should I even bother? a journalist a writer should be thought provoking they should look at every story and come away with a sense of their own conviction. That's what I do. I look, I I observe, I I research, I try to figure out what do I think? I have to know what I think before I come on and explain it to you. Even if I'm going to explain every single side and, you know, we can talk. I know, I know it's not fair to the Palestinian people. Believe me, and it is a tragedy and it's going to be awful. It's just going to be awful. But I also know what just happened and what transpired in Israel, unprovoked. And I say that unprovoked because, again, I look at what Israel has done over the last however many years. I remember when there was the war maybe back in 2006, and they were doing everything they could to, to really, you know, get, as I said, they dig up graves and move them out of these, these Palestine areas. And, and what has it resulted in? Just more hatred. So the whole containment theory has not really worked it just haven't hasn't worked And so, sure, you know, maybe down the road you'll need a Marshall Plan and this, that, and the other. But the first thing you got to do is you got to get rid of the terrorists. And, unfortunately, it's going to come with a lot of bloodshed. And I guess we're just realists on that front. But I have to have a point of view. I do have a point of view. And you know what? The Washington Post, it pretends that it's all things, but it has a point of view. And that's straight from the administration. And that's why subscriptions are down. And that's why digital advertising is down. Because you know what? There's no no authenticity there anymore. I look at other networks, MS. NBC what are they about I mean they 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 seem to be the Rashida Tlaib network when you hear this guy here he is an apologist basically for for Hamas a terror organization going on and on and on about how bad it's going to be in Gaza okay yes we know it's going to be bad but can you explain what just happened in Israel for a minute watch
3: is unable to decipher. Um, There are no front lines in Gaza, Andrea, as you know. There are no places for these uh, civilians to go. Even the civilians who absolutely categorically reject and denounce everything that Hamas may have done, they just simply have nowhere to go. This morning, there was a lot of questions being put on the Egyptian government as to whether or not it was going to open the border between Egypt and Rafah. And as the Egyptian government was contemplating that, uh, there was an airstrike by Israel on The main road that leads out of Rafah, which is the last city in Gaza before heading into Egypt, uh, rendering that road inoperable to be able to deliver goods and services or perhaps even uh, fuel supplies or medical supplies into the people of Gaza and certainly deterring anyone from trying to leave. So as you can imagine right now, the United Nations, international community, those on the ground there uh, are describing what has already been a humanitarian disaster and a humanitarian catastrophe just becoming worse and worse by the hour.
0: And, Eamon, we only have about a minute left, but historically the Palestinian Authority has gotten weaker and weaker. Yeah. Look, so, you know, they they have a viewpoint. I I get they're trying to give all sides. That guy, I don't even know his name. He's some weekend anchor. He's going on and on about the whole problem was the Abraham Accord. Let me tell you, the Abraham Accord thing, that was the best thing that could possibly happen in the Middle East. It's the best thing that could have happened to Joe Biden. I hope to goodness that he sticks with that because that might be the only thing he gets done in his administration. It was started by Jared Kushner, son-in-law, Jewish son-in-law of Donald Trump. Continued by Donald Trump, the whole idea was to get Saudi Arabia and Israel together along with Jordan and Egypt and basically get the whole region on board. And then you have the Shiites over in Iran who would basically be squeezed out. And so they wouldn't quite have a voice at the table. But you know what? They've been so difficult they couldn't have a voice at the table. Well, that was really opposed. It was really opposed by a lot of people, I would say, within the so called deep state. I mean, think about the special envoy to Iran, repeated reports that. They're unconfirmed. I have not confirmed these reports, and so I'm cautious about even telling you with them, but I encourage you to go look at Tablet Magazine. There's a few others as well that cite the special envoy to Iran during both the Barack Obama administration as well as Joe Biden as being overly sympathetic. Some even called him an Iranian spy, but overly sympathetic to Iran. I'd like to see his bank records. Thank you very much. Hope there was no funny money being transferred there. Anyway, there was just this sentiment that really began through obama 's regime their you know administration, and was very much in And cahoots, dare I say, sort of just this warm and fuzzy relationship with Iran, thinking that things could be better. And like from one standpoint, the thinking was, hey, this could represent a huge economic opportunity. The problem is you got all the mullahs there. You got all the religious zealots there that don't really want that. So even though you may have some wonderful people and smart business people Are you ever going to be able to break through the religious component? And the feeling eventually was no, certainly within the Trump administration, which was why they pulled the plug on the JCPOA. They were too worried about Iran getting a nuclear weapon by having all that extra money. And yet when Biden came back in, you got the special envoy, the same one that was there during... Barack Obama he came back into town becomes a special envoy again he was fired under mysterious circumstances just a couple of months ago but a lot of people believe basically that the US government had been infiltrated but by too many people that were effectively pro-Iranian in their thinking just look at the academic institutions they were certainly infiltrated right that's why Harvard and Columbia I mean so sad my own alma mater there were, by the way like I just want to say I knew a lot of kids at Columbia that had actually been part of Israeli defense forces so a lot of students that may share dual citizenship as american and israeli they would go over and work in the IDF for their time and then come back to school and they were just always incredible students stellar students because you know they had real world experience shall we say so uh, Columbia saying what they said I mean this is really problematic it shows you that Iran certainly had a hold on something right certainly was making these inroads both in academia while simultaneously according to some of these reports possibly in the administration and state department as well so when you say like how could this happen why would we be giving six billion dollars to Iran ask yourself what the motives were of the people that are behind the scenes. I don't get it. I don't know why you'd give them $6 billion. You gave them the hostages. We did the hostage trade. Don't we like not pay for hostages? And I love how Tony Blinken keeps telling us, well, it's their money. It's their money. No, it's not their money. Cause guess what? You sanctioned them. And that means because you sanctioned them, you confiscate things. I mean, what do you think happened when you went after the Russians' boats down there in the Caribbean? You confiscated the boats, you confiscated their money. It is what it is, okay? So if you're going to sanction, you got to actually sanction. What I would like to see now, not sure it can happen from this team, but I would really, really like to see that money frozen Tony Blinken tells us the Iranians haven't spent anything. They became a much better credit risk, shall we say, right? You get $6 billion hanging out in the account, so people are a little more willing to float you. Anyway, Tony Blinken's saying they haven't spent it. If they haven't spent it, let's freeze it.
2: Does dealing with Hamas mean dealing with Iran? Was Iran behind this?
1: So there's a long relationship between uh, Iran and, and Hamas. In fact, Hamas wouldn't be Hamas without the support that it's gotten over many years from Iran. We haven't yet seen... Direct evidence that Iran was behind this particular attack or involved, but the the support over many years is clear. It's one of the reasons that over the last couple of years, we have been resolutely working against Iran's support for terrorism, uh, for destabilizing actions in other countries. We've sanctioned more than 400 Iranian individuals and entities precisely uh, for the kind of support that they've offered uh, Hamas in the past. And it's something that we remain extremely vigilant about.
2: As you know, many in the GOP are laying blame on the Biden administration in the wake of that recent deal to unfreeze Iranian assets that were unfrozen for humanitarian purposes in return for the release of those American hostages. Here's what Steve Scalise, one of the candidates for speaker, put out yesterday. The Biden administration must be held accountable for its appeasement of these Hamas terrorists, including handing over billions of dollars to them and their Iranian backers. Your response?
1: Look, I'm not going to comment on on specific uh, comments by individuals. I can can say this. It's unfortunate that some are, um, in effect, uh, (laughs) uh, saying things that may be motivated by politics at a time when so many lives have been lost and Israel remains under attack. And the facts are these uh, and uh, should be well known. Uh, This involved Iranian resources, not American taxpayer dollars. These were resources that uh, Iran had acquired from the sale of its oil that were stuck in a bank. Uh, in this case in in South Korea, they have always been entitled to use those funds under our law and under our sanctions for humanitarian purposes. Uh, And the funds were moved from one bank to another to facilitate that. Uh, By the way, not a single dollar from that account has actually been spent uh, to date. And in any event, it's very carefully and closely regulated by the Treasury Department to make sure that it's only used for food, for medicine, for medical equipment. So some who are advancing uh, this false narrative they're either misinformed or they're misinforming. And either way, it's wrong.
0: No, buddy, you're wrong. You're wrong. That's not a false narrative. You're just talking your stinking book, okay? You're talking your book because here's the reality money's money, meaning it's fungible. I don't care if you tell me it's dedicated to this or it's dedicated to that. By the way, you can buy this with that. You know, food for oil, <laughs> oil for weapons, whatever. You know what? money is money and so once they have it they can say oh yes this is going to charitable purposes but then just as easily it can be deviated diverted to other things or maybe you know you you buy those charitable things, the food, the water, whatever it is, and then you trade it for other things, okay? That's just the way the real world works. And you know that, Tony Blinken. But he thinks that we're all pretty simplistic. And clearly, he doesn't think much as Stephanopoulos. Of course, Stephanopoulos is not going to bother challenging him on any of this. So what he said was actually fundamentally wrong. But I would say this. This is what, oh, and he was right on this. It's not technically our taxpayer dollars, right? It's their money. But if we're sanctioning them. We can take their money. You see, that's what sanctions are about. And what we need to do is sanction, 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 and sanction some more. I mean, look, I'm a big believer in this. Before you ever commit any resources in terms of weaponry or people, you sanction, you use money, you use that financial leverage as much as you can. And you tell everyone out there, you know what? We're not going to do business with you. Hey, China, we're out. We're not going to do business with you if you're doing business with Iran right? Like that's just the way it needs to work for sanctions. So he says nobody's touched the 6 billion. Okay, fine. Nobody's touched the 6 billion. Let's freeze it then. We have the ability to do it, freeze it until Iran can prove to us that one, it had nothing to do with this attack, which the Wall Street Journal reports it did. And two, that it's committed, fully on board, committed to seeing a peaceful resolution to all of this in the Middle East. And third, it is committed to wiping out Hamas and getting rid of all its religious zealots that are trying to control its regime. Then we can talk. Then maybe we can do business. Until then, there's no there there. Anyway, anyway, I want to get back to these media stories because I started to tell you a little bit about the Washington post. I started to tell you a little bit about Fox and I want to tell you some more about ABC because ABC is about to see a whole big shakeup. And it's not just because of Whoopi's latest. Did you hear what happened there on that show the other day? Let me see if I can share this one with you. Whoopi Goldberg who uh, I know there's no love loss there <laughs> with you and Whoopi. She felt just terrible because, you know, there was so much going on, so much going on that it was just really hard to remember that it was actually, what, Indigenous People's Day? Come on, like Indigenous People's Day. Give me a break, guys. Give me a break because you know what? Like, I don't have a problem with Indigenous People's Day. If you want to, like, celebrate that, just go celebrate. But why do you have to, like, trash Columbus? Like, you know, the the Italians, by the way, it's not like it's not like they're the wasps. I mean, Italians have been through their own set of challenges and the prejudice that they've been subjected to in the United States of America has been very real. And they're very proud of Columbus Day. Very proud of what their contribution was to the foundation of this country. And by the way, I know it's not perfect. And I know that. And he didn't actually come to the U.S., but was down in the Caribbean, blah, blah, blah. But again, let me just get back to the heart of the matter, which is that it is a chance for Italians to feel connected to the United States of America. And I know there's so much embedded in society now that it doesn't feel like it's as big a deal, but it is. It is. And to take that from them, because you got to give it to the indigenous people. I mean, just just have an indigenous people's day as well. Why is it? Why is it such a zero sum game? You notice that it's like the Palestinians feel like they can't be successful because of the Israelis or uh, Black Lives Matter, which feels like they can't be successful because of whites And I'm like, no, no, no. Like in the real world, guess what? We can all be successful. And in the United States of America that I know and love and grew up in, we've always been a meritocracy. By the way, that's why people still want to come here because we are a meritocracy where you can succeed based on how hard you're willing to work. And yeah, a little luck comes in handy too, but things like two parents in a house, Parents that are committed to their kids' education and a system that affords people that chance of upward mobility. That is what is critical to the foundation of who we are. So it's not us versus them. It's all of us together helping to create a better country and better communities, period. So, you know what? Go ahead. Have two holidays. But like I said, Whoopi got in a lot of trouble apparently with her viewers because of this one. I'm going to share it with you here Let's see. Oh, poor whoopie, right? Poor, poor woman here. I've got it for you. This is something else. And you know, she just, I know she's annoying to watch, but you may not have to watch her for long. That's what I want to tell you because ABC could be well, or at least going to another network. There's a few that are interested. I'll I'll fill you in, but uh, again, could be final days for this woman. Let's watch.
2: Let us remind people that it is Italian Heritage Month. And we did not say yesterday, Thank happy you. Indigenous Peoples Day. We, yep. we, we had lots going on. So a lot of people were very annoyed with us because yes. we didn't get to that. Mm-hmm. And so
0: we took care of it. <laughs> were you annoyed? <laughs> you probably weren't watching. Neither was I. So you know what? We didn't notice that she didn't even acknowledge it. Indigenous people's day, but apparently some loyal viewers actually did. So as I said, I'm not so sure Whoopi's long for the place. As I mentioned earlier, the media business is changing and it's changing really fast, whether it's Washington Post losing subscribers to the tune of what, 15% since 2021, with an audience that's down 28%, print revenue that's down 10%, digital ad revenue down 30%, or whether it's other networks like CNN. Wow, mess over there. You know, they keep going through management teams, but they can't figure that one out. Or whether it's even Fox. Fox, who, you know, everybody's looking at saying, well, who are they really? I mean, they've had problem after problem after problem. They've changed the lineup so many times. And now they seem to be just looking for a cost-effective solution, right? You're just not going to pay people a whole lot of money. I think Hannity's the only one left making any money. And if Hannity's smart, he's going to do something eventually on his own. So Fox looks very different than it has in the past. And their digital numbers are not so hot. Digital is the future, right? Because it's that authentic style that's well you know I realize not such the bells and whistles like you might have had at the cable networks but you know we do okay right right (laughs) a reminder to subscribe hit that subscribe and hit the bell we do okay over here and it's just me so there's no there's no sort of entity in the way and As a result of that, I think you're going to see more people migrate to these kinds of platforms. So whether you're listening to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, I hope you are. I hope you are. Make sure you go and download it. Subscribe to it. Doesn't cost anything. I'm there every single day. Please do me that favor. It's the full audio version of the show. Or whether you're here participating in the live live chat, and I'm going to get to your comments momentarily. You know what? This is a different kind of media in a very, very different style. And so Fox can't do that. And you know what? MSNBC can't do that. And CNN can't do that. And they can't also do that for for reasons that are, well, just institutional because of cable agreements that are in place. In other words, they're paid by these cable companies to deliver content. So it's not really fair if you're paid by the cable company. How can you go out and stream simultaneously? You can't. And the contracts don't allow them to do it. So they've tried to find work around. CNN came up with its CNN digital thing, which was a complete disaster, unfortunately, for CNN. I, I don't know. I think they're trying to resurrect it in some way. And then Fox News decided to come up with Fox Nation, which has also been a complete disaster in various ways. Now, we don't actually have hard numbers on it anymore. They, they interestingly stopped releasing these hard numbers after Tucker left I do remember so many of you saying in the live chat and in the comments below that you pulled the plug on your Fox Nation subscription either after I left, Lou Dobbs left, Bongino left, or Tucker left, right? Like there's been a whole bunch of us that have left. So... You know, I appreciate it, and I'm glad that you're over here. But Fox Nation has been challenged in that way because they've got to offer a very, very different product online, and, you know, viewers are mad, and they they kind of question what is it that Fox stands for. I do question how long that network is going to stay as we know it and whether or not Lachlan Murdoch, who's now going to be officially in charge in just a matter of a couple of weeks, his dad is stepping down, that would be Rupert, whether he's going to be able to take the cash flow from Fox News, which earns a ton of money, and actually invest in new businesses that might give the company a real future. I don't know how smart he is. I do believe he went to Harvard. Ha-ha. So there you go. Anyway, over at ABC, Iger, Bob Iger, who's historically been a pretty good CEO for the company – regardless of whether you agree with his politics or not, he, he's done well by shareholders up until recently. He wants to get out of the legacy television business. And understandably so, because, you know, that legacy business as we've been through over and over again is kind of a lousy business. And so he went on CNBC well, last summer and he said, you know what? It, it, it's basically something I want to sell. And he wants to get, he even wants to get out of ESPN, And so he's looking to do that. And that's the reason why I say Whoopi Goldberg may not be there as long. Or if she is, she's not going to make as much money because Iger's going to sell it to a private equity shop that is basically just going to bleed it for cash until it can't anymore. Or it might sell it to another network. Uh, Several have expressed interest, but they're cheap and they're not going to pay a lot for it. And by the way, once they got it, they want to squeeze the profitability out of it until they can't anymore, which means you're not going to have big salaries for these name anchors. So that that's the upside, I guess, for you. The other pressure that's coming in is that Nelson Peltz is really going to force this issue. Nelson Peltz is a big activist investor. Um, he's got a child who's married to a very famous person Brooklyn, um, you know, uh, the, the, one that, uh, the, 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 soccer guy and the Spice Girls son, you know who I mean, Nicola Peltz is his daughter and she's married to, uh, the famous child of that, that union. Anyway, he's getting involved. He's got something like a two and a half billion dollar stake in Disney. And he's looking at this company saying, what the heck happened? I mean, like so many people have, right? Because share price has been going down, 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 down. Well, the media industry is changing. And by the way, Disney, which felt like it had to be super woke, changed in bad ways, and people aren't going to see their movies anymore. And people are not going to the theme parks anymore. And by the way, the rides keep breaking down. And we just learned today the prices are going up. So you get to wait in line at Disney World forever and pay like a hundred and what, twenty some odd dollars to do so. And, well, the ride may just break down while you're on it. So good luck. So Nelson Peltz, maybe he'll get some answers. He's trying to shake things up. He's probably making Bob Iger very nervous, but I'm telling you, in the long run, it's going to be a good thing. Just like this whole thing on Capitol Hill, in the long run, is going to be a good thing. Bye-bye, Kevin McCarthy.
1: Eyewitnesses have testified that the president joined on multiple phone calls and had multiple interactions. Dinners resulted in cars and millions of dollars into a son.
0: Right. So then why did it take you so darn long to pull the impeachment inquiry? How is it that you allowed all of this information to come forward and not demanded more in the way of answers? Why'd you let Nancy Pelosi hang out in her fancy schmancy office digs for so long, even though she was no longer Speaker of the House or Steny Hoyer for that matter? Right. I mean, really? So. Kevin McCarthy's gone, but they've got to figure out who the next one is. And I just hope to goodness it's not going to be Jeffries. I mean, it's not. I don't think it would ever come to that. But at this moment in time, you know what? Trump will be needed. Donald Trump says he's going to go to Capitol Hill this week. And he is saying, if I have to, I will become speaker. So right now, you got a situation where, yes, in the sort of preliminary round one, Republicans are nominating Steve Scalise and a whole bunch of people like Matt Gates, who's kind of a rabble rouser, and also Jim Jordan, who was up for Speaker 2. They're all coming out in favor of Scalise. Scalise is seen as kind of a hero. Remember, Scalise had that horrible situation where he was, he was struck by a bullet um, in that in that baseball game that they had. I mean, just, just really horrible situation. But anyway, Steve Scalise now is seen as sort of the chosen one. He's kind of the quote-unquote establishment pick. He's not really establishment, but, you know, I guess compared to Jim Jordan or Donald Trump, he would be in that case. The question is, will he see enough support? As I mentioned, you've got some holdouts. you got Nancy Mace. You got Lauren Brobart, you know, a few of them, and they, they kind of need everybody on board here. Max Miller, they need everybody there. And so maybe the answer is if, in fact, Donald Trump comes in and kind of puts some pressure on the likes of Mace or Brobart, maybe then you will actually see the Republicans fully then in support of Steve Scalise. It would be good to have a speaker sooner rather than later. We have a, a very divided sort of government right now. Um, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene out of Georgia, she said that she backed Jordan in the private ballot and would do so in the floor vote. So again, that could be a problem there. Again, several lawmakers announcing they are not going to support Steve Scalise. Representative Thomas Massey out of Kentucky said he let Scalise know he does not have his floor vote as well. So, you know, you can tick him off here, and that means you could be going through these multiple rounds again. And I don't think that's good. I mean, it took 14 rounds for Kevin McCarthy and that's, you know, that was indicative of something that was historic. And then we had the historic outing of McCarthy. He says he won't run again, but we got a, yeah, we get kind of a, a lousy lousy thing going on. I hope they get that together sooner rather than later. It's important, right. For the party. Um, again, my, my pick would have been Jim Jordan because, uh, what was that? What was that line in the the Tom Cruise movie? You know, you had me at hello. You had me at economics. I was pleased that he was an economics major. They're actually few and far between, believe it or not, there on Capitol Hill. We got a lot that we still gotta to get to. I mean, you got serious, 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 serious money. But you if you money, have a difference of that, opinion, um, you just can't be impeaching, impeaching. On the <laughs> other hand, this is a fake distraction, as you said. Okay. So yeah, indeed a fake distraction. Um <laughs> that was Nancy Pelosi, who just a couple of days ago went on to MSNBC furious that there was this impeachment inquiry saying you can't just impeach, impeach. Of course, that's exactly what she did. So the hypocrisy is extraordinary and and tough to take, really, really tough to take. And don't forget, it's all coming. It's all coming just as, well, uh, yes, we confront problems in the Middle East And we also confront problems here at home with an effort by so many Democrats to go after specifically anybody that may have voted for Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton saying quite recently that that MAGA supporters needed to be, quote, deprogrammed. I I mean, that was kind of something to hear and something to say. I would only argue that in light of what's going on with our border, in light of what's going on overseas, I would really prefer that our federal government focus more critically on our border. you got millions of people seeping through undetected at a time when the leader of Hamas is calling for this jihad. And you've got some crazies out there online Pushing some really insane narratives, including this one guy on TikTok that's quite disturbing. That uh, is basically calling well for for the kind of stuff that Hamas is calling for, and and that's uh, that's something that we need to to think about and and consider. Certainly in a time like this, in a time where we should actually be focused inward i think as a country on making sure that we don't have any terror threats as opposed to focusing on oh well who might have supported donald trump heck we need we need that wall biden's biden's building one apparently
2: one question on the border wall. The border wall, the money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't. They wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have to use the money for what was appropriate. I can't stop that.
0: Good. I'm glad you can't. Because I think we need that wall. I think, you know, if anything, uh, we need to think long and hard about where our sympathies are. Remember when John Kerry met with the Iranians in 2018? It came out September of 2018 that Kerry, he admitted he met with Iranian officials over the nuclear deal. Again, when I'm telling you that for some reason there seems to be this sentiment in these Democrat administrations, it's very, very pro-Iran. And he wanted to protect that. JCPOA agreement for some reason, because, you know, that was under his watch and everybody's protective of their stuff. And in doing so may have, dare I say, led us in, in a sort of bad way. I mean, how is it that U.S. intelligence had absolutely no idea any of this was happening? How is it that Israeli intelligence had absolutely no idea that any of this was happening? I, 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 again, I, I encourage you. I put the notes up in the chat or the number up in the chat. If you, if you want to do something to help the people of Israel right now, do what you can, anything you can. 1 800 248 8881. I'm so proud to be partnering here with the International Federation of Christians and Jews that are on the ground trying to help every individual in Israel that has been affected by this horror and they are going to some of the very worst places and they are doing what they can. I, I, I think this is so important. I'm proud to be part of this. I partnered with the IDF a couple years ago or the, the a, an organization that was raising money there for the Israeli Defense Forces. I was so proud to do that. I'm proud to partner with these guys because you know what? They need your help. They need your help right now. All right, let's go out to some of your comments, to some of your ideas here. I've been watching them all come in. And as I said, this is a live, live show. Sometimes you guys wonder, am I really live? Yes, <laughs> I'm here. I'm live. In fact, if you watch closely, sometimes I go to the wrong sound bites. That's how live I am. I'm telling you, I'm kind of a perfectionist. So that would not happen if it was a taped show. <laughs> those things would get fixed indeed. Anyway, I'm reading from some of you guys. Oh, Larry, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, I, 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 appreciate, um, I appreciate your sentiment. I love having you guys here. Jeff, it's good to see you as well. It's really, really, he's making the point that it's obvious who the people want to become president. Look, I'm going to say this. You look at all of these polls right now, and they really show, again, more and more strength to Donald Trump, which I just think terrifies the left. But the reason for that is pretty simple. His policies worked. Some people say, Oh, he's an isolationist. And I'm like, not really. That 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 it's not an accurate way of describing him. I actually think he felt very passionately about trying to do everything we could to stay out of conflicts. He never wanted any human life. To be sacrificed, but I'll tell you, if they come after us, he was going after them with all he had. And you know, all these countries, they thought he was completely crazy. And that can work for you to a certain extent, right? I mean I think even Kim Jong il was like, hmm, you know, what do we do about him? And and Putin was like, what do we do about him? And China was like, ah, more sanctions. I mean, they they didn't quite know what to make of him because they found him to be mercurial. I have interviewed him many times and spoken often on record. I mean, he was never the kind of person to be like, this is off record. So I feel comfortable talking to you about this. But I remember when we were pulling out of Syria, we had succeeded in getting ISIS and he was very proud of that, but he wanted to get the heck out of there. He was hightailing it out. And I was like, are you sure? You know, do you really, we're just having a, a conversation. I think he was going to come on the show or something. And I I was sort of surprised, and he was he was so emphatic and almost emotional in our conversation about saying, and he was not going to lose one American life if he could help it over this conflict that they'd been fighting for thousands of years. We did what we needed to do. We got rid of ISIS, and now we were going to move on. I mean, he did leave some a small contingency behind. Because he didn't want what happened in Afghanistan, right, where, you know, the weaponry got swept up, possibly by some bad people, including possibly by Hamas. And so I I think that, you know, I believed him. Believe me, I believed him when he said that. I was always interested that he was willing to hear a lot of sides, but he had some pretty strong convictions. And one of those convictions included making sure that he kept U.S. troops safe. He wanted a, a very strong military but a military that didn't jump into needless conflicts. As we look at what's going on right now in Israel, by the way, very, very aligned with Israel. Don't forget, it was his administration that moved the embassy back to Jerusalem, something that so many people had talked about for so long. Nobody did it until Donald Trump. So the policies were really, really, really solid. And I don't believe, you know, he was a classic isolationalist. He actually, remember, they went after us and we went after Soleimani. Hard. We got them. Right. So it was it was very much an environment during the Trump years where you didn't mess with the US of A. And by the way, that's how it should be. Walk softly, but carry a big stick. To quote Roosevelt, I mean, that's what we need. We need all the power and all the might to do what we need to do. But for some reason, I don't think anybody really takes Joe Biden seriously enough. I don't think they take this administration seriously enough. So he hands Iran $6 billion, and if the Wall Street Journal report is true, which I kind of think it probably is, and they greenlit this attack on Israel, then what does it tell you? They just flew a giant FU flag straight in the face of Joe Biden and the White House. That's, that's, folks, what Iran just did. But let me temper that because we want to be cautious in an environment right now that we don't get ourselves into World War III. So this is Israel's fight right now. We support Israel. We acknowledge that they have every right, just as we did after 9-11 to go after Al-Qaeda. We mistakenly went into Iraq and got everything sort of jumbled up. And remember, suddenly everything became confused. And really, that was a war about oil resources in retrospect. And perhaps some leftover ideas from previous administrations. Don't forget, Cheney's bias, et cetera, right? That, that led us down a path which had consequences that we are still feeling today. So that wasn't right. But if you can act smartly and in a contained way and take out all of the Hamas leadership, then Israel will have been very successful in doing what it needs to do. In other words, you're not containing, you're not working with Hamas anymore. You have to write them off. They are terrorists, given what they did. And because they are terrorists, they need to be obliterated. You obliterate them, And then you say, okay, we come back to the table, and what's next? And you don't go around the world and say, okay, let's go here, there, and everywhere, which is kind of what happened after 9-11, and that was our mistake. And so I think that Donald Trump, the reason why so many of you are saying, wow, it's really amazing to see him climbing in the polls, it's, again, because of the policies that kept us safe and kept us economically strong. I feel like his only mistake, his big mistake, really— was shutting down the economy, which yours truly tried to warn about right there on live television. Don't shut down the economy. Like hours before he did, because I really felt that that was in effect a a kind of trap, not just for him politically, but for us as a country economically. And you look, for example, at what say Sweden did, where they did not shut down their economy and They've come out far, far ahead of, of really where we are. Same same number of deaths, unfortunately, from a, a comparative standpoint. But you look at their kids in school. New study today that AP was reporting on. I mean, ACT, not SAT, but ACT. It's on their college placement exam. They never, these scores have never been so bad. Like, they're really bad. They keep going. They've been going down for the last six years. So prior to COVID. But since COVID, whoo! They've been just like plunging. And we haven't focused enough on our kids' education. And by the way, the teachers' unions are kind of running everything. The latest and greatest is that in Louisiana, in California, and in Connecticut, what do they want? Equitable math. Equitable courses of study. In Louisiana, in California, they want to get rid of all honors classes or put everyone into honors classes, therefore getting rid of them because it doesn't feel good if you're not in the honors class. Like. <laughs> so, what what's the idea here, guys? You're just going to bring everyone down to that level? Not allow anyone to to rise above? Why not this? Hey, let me go out on a limb and suggest that maybe instead of bringing everyone to the lowest common denominator, why don't you actually help the kids that are on the bottom? Why didn't you try and have some meaningful change for them? Get them the right kind of resources and tutoring so that they can one day make it to the honors class rather than just destroy the honors class. I mean, this is this is what is so messed up. And there's a similarity. I know I'm going to get in trouble with somebody for saying this. So it's sensitive what I'm about to say And and, you know, think about it. But there's a similarity here. I mean, the death, the destruction, the violence, none of it is ever excusable. It's awful. It's gross what's happening there in Israel. But the fact that some people are willing to okay it that the students at Harvard somehow can justify this in their minds. Don't forget, Harvard is one of the birthplaces of critical race theory, CRT, this whole BLM movement, right, that comes from CRT that somehow justifies in some way, shape, or form looting or violence to get your way because it, it raises your stature and gets the attention of everyone so that you can get those reparations, et cetera. Again, instead of seeing the whole picture, and the pie is one that can keep growing for everyone. It's not that you're here because someone else is here keeping you there. No, in effect, you you have every opportunity or should have every opportunity to succeed as well. And so there's a lot that can and should be done. I mean, you go back to the Johnson years. It's really remarkable. I was looking at some statistics about black America and wealth in black America during the the pre-1960s. So if you go to the post-Civil War era into the 1960s, what you saw was families succeeding and families getting educated and, and growing their net worth within the black community every single year. And it kept getting better and better and better. And then all of a sudden it's like a bomb went off when the 1960s came around and Lyndon Johnson and his great society, which I'm sure he meant well on, actually had the opposite effect of destroying family, of destroying community and therefore destroying the economic opportunity of so many black Americans without having two parents in the house, by making people dependent, mothers dependent on Uncle Sam, on government, you actually did a lot to rob that community, frankly, of their soul, because work is part of us, right? Like, (laughs) I can't imagine. You know what? My mom. I'm going off on all kinds of tangents today. My mom insisted, insisted I get a job at 12. I mean, when I was little, I always had chores around the house, and I used to make like two dollars a week. Somehow, I'd never get the two bucks because I never, I never could make my bed well enough. I try. I mean, by the time I was like five years old, I was making my bed. I was doing my laundry you know, I, I was, I, I was participating. Okay. I was clearing the dishes. I couldn't cook yet, but you know, I, I was, I was carrying my weight, but I, I somehow just never made the bed <laughs> well enough. So I'd get my pay docked on a daily basis. But the point was I was supposed to be earning my keep to a certain extent, right? With, whether it was $2, I mean, $2, eventually, eventually I made it up to five. And then when I was 12 years old, there was a little camp where we lived in Maine we used to go to Maine every summer. Very, very nice, idyllic, fantastic, like just a great place to be as a kid. And there was this camp called the Improvement Association. It was Kenny Bunk Beach Improvement Association. And I got a job there as a camp counselor. I taught swimming. And I taught sailing. I was probably the worst sailing instructor ever. And I actually taught windsurfing as well. And I'm not really sure how I did it because I barely left the sail. But anyway, I knew the technique. I knew the technique. And I worked maybe 40, 50 hours a week. You want to know how much I made? Because it actually wasn't legal to work. So it had some kind of weird classification as an internship or something. I taught all these swimming lessons and all these sailing lessons. And I got a fat 20 bucks a week, $20 a week. And uh, I I like to think of that as my first real job. Technically, my first first job was actually as a reporter when I was about 11 years old for our local newspaper in town. But I only used to make like 50 cents a story on that. So it didn't count. And it was kind of (laughs) intermittent. I moved up. We moved up in the world to the 20 bucks a week. And then by the time I was 13 or 14, I had a job bussing tables. And again, like I worked. I worked. And it was it was an important sort of part of who I was. And I took pride in that. I took pride in earning my own money. I took pride in meeting different people and kind of getting used to all kinds of people, right? Because eventually I made it up to waitress and you 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 meet a lot of different people and you, you kind of have to learn how to, how to deal and how to hang and how to be a, you know, efficient person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But work was always part of my life and i think those are values that are critical and sort of true to who we are as americans some of these kids i see today that you know work uh, in internships at the un i'm like what the heck i want the kid that worked at the dry cleaners or in the you know local restaurant or diner because that's real work to me We've got to remember that. We've got to remember the value of work and that work is what gets you ahead. It's hard work. Yeah, luck matters. Intelligence matters. But really and truly, what it all comes down to is work. But if you sit there and you tell people, whether they're in, you know, whether they're in, in, in rural Mississippi or in the Gaza Strip, if you tell them that they are always the victim and that they can never get ahead, because someone else is keeping them down, then all you do is breed resentment and negativity and a sense of failure and a lack of optimism. That is not who we are. We can never be like that. So when these Rashida Tlaibs of the world are out there trying to say that, Somebody can't get ahead because somebody else is oppressing them. You know what? I don't buy it. I don't buy it for one stinking minute. That is not the United States of America. It will never be us. So don't let these people convince you otherwise. Thank you, Marlene. I'm glad that you agree with me. Who is this? Slugo said his first job was a Marine for 440 bucks a month. Wow. You're a Marine. That's okay. You got me beat. I'm sorry. I was just bussing tables. <laughs> it's really good to see you all. Yes, Abel. I agree with you. I agree with you. They are pretty woke over on some of those network news stations. Vic is making the point that he's worried about China. I am too. Uh, and Taiwan. Something to say on that, which would be consider the chaos that we have been experiencing. Since Joe Biden came to office. I'm not just talking about the economic stuff and the inflation. And look, I saw that one coming a million miles away. I actually tried to even, even during the Trump administration. I was like, whoa, when he came out with the second stimulus check and the Fed was doing its thing, I, I cautioned we had to be careful. And then Biden did what third stimulus check and multiple rounds of stimulus, including the Inflation Reduction Act, which I can't even say that with a straight face because <laughs> he just printed more money. Anyway, that was very foreseeable. The international stuff. Wow. The international stuff is pretty darn terrifying because it's been one after the other. And I'm telling you, it really is like they just don't respect him and they think that they can run wild. All these other countries that have very sharp elbows right now, considering, considering that. You know, Mexico is not doing a darn thing to try and contain its border situation. So everybody's flowing over right into here and Claire the Biden's not doing anything. And these cartels, they're not afraid. They're sending everybody and making a ton of money while they're doing it. The fentanyl's pouring in to our region. China sending the fentanyl to Mexico, sending it up through our borders kind of reminds me of the opium wars, right? Like if you if you study Chinese history, what you learn is this is exactly what happened. Go back to the Ming Dynasty. And it was a porous southern border where the Europeans were actually sending opium right up through that porous southern border. And before you knew it, you had some one third of the population addicted to opium there in China. And the wars ensued, et cetera, et cetera. China kept saying at the time, look, you can't come that this is a closed border. You can't do this. And yet the drugs poured through anyway. They're not over it. They're totally not over it. And it's this weird kind of payback circle, right? Things come in full circle as we move forward here. In 2023, and see that it's the Chinese sending the fentanyl to these cartels who are bringing it up, running it up through our poorest southern border. So we've got a messed up border, we've got a messed up economy, and then you have. None other than the situation in Afghanistan, which I will never forget. And I don't even want to like, get into right now because I'll get very emotional with you. But you remember the scenes of the people hanging by the planes. Americans killed there. So, so, so unnecessary. Then you think about the weaponry that may have been, seems to have been, left behind that, that some Israelis are saying is actually part of the arsenal that Hamas has been able to mobilize and use. So that's problem one. Problem two, wow. Like, that never should have happened in Ukraine, and I, I consider that a full failure in diplomacy, what is transpiring there. Why did Putin feel as he needed to go and do that? Could no one have talked him out of that? Where was the diplomacy that should have happened? And then three, you look at what's happening now with Israel and Hamas and the situation with Iran, and it's heartbreaking, it's tragic. And and if, in fact, this is true, that the Iran green lit it, We got a real problem, ladies and gentlemen. And then, yes, as Vic says, worry about China and Taiwan. Because, look, I I would think China wouldn't be stupid enough to do something like this, but I would think Iran would not be stupid enough to do something like this. Lots happening. Michelle, your first job was working for your dad. You were seven years old. I love it. I love it. It's really, You know, work is great. It's just great. I've got my kids working, too. <laughs> and they love it. They're so proud. They're so proud, right? I mean, that is a set of values that, you know, you can, you can throw all the way back on the Puritans, right? And, and I'm certainly nothing. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just scrappy Irish over here, okay? We came to this country pretty recently. But the, the sort of Puritan work ethic is a phenomenal work ethic. The Puritan sense of family and community, the meeting houses where everybody would come together and decide on things, the importance of religion to that community, which also was very much about freedom of religion. I mean, that's a value set that I think you just can't help but admire. And it has helped make us who we are. I'm going back and and rereading a lot of the uh, Federalist Papers, just for fun at night. I also got a, a another copy. I know I already have one somewhere in my house of Tocqueville, just because I, I just want to sort of be reminded of this, these values that we started our nation with, that need to be front and center at a time like this. And so it, it's just great. It's great. Thank, thank you all for Herbie Scotch Irish. You know, I'm actually Scottish too, in fairness, and I'm a little bit Lithuanian. So that's that's where my high cheekbones come from. <laughs> anyway, um, I, look, I, I, I love all of these cultures. I probably feel closest to the Irish. I grew up listening to Irish folk music. I know every Liam and Clancy song out there for any of you that are really clued in on that. And next summer, I'm very excited because I am going to be attending a family reunion in Ireland and it will be the first time I have been there since I was five years old. And I'm going to see some of the same cousins I got to meet when I was five. And it's a part of Ireland where they speak only Irish. I mean, they, they speak English, too. But it's one of the sort of holdouts where they still speak Gaelic. They will not say Gaelic, though. They, they they call it Irish. And so I can't wait to go. And I can't wait to introduce my family to to all of them. And I think, you know, understanding your roots and where you're from, but also being proud to be American and being proud that this is our home base in our country. That's really critical. You know, when, when I was a kid in school, they talked about the melting pot and the salad bowl. I'm a melting pot kind of girl because I'll always be American first. Yes, I'm Irish. And that, you know, affects perhaps a lot of some of my values, but my values are American at core and I think the more we can remember that we're American and we're all in this together and it doesn't matter the color of your skin or your religion or how recently you came to this country or how many languages you speak or don't speak, if you can be American first and recognize the value set that we have as Americans, that's what matters, really and truly. And for those academic institutions like Harvard, they'd be well-served to go back to their roots, to remember what Harvard was when it started. A place to educate, to inform, to expand the young minds of America so that we could go on to be the greatest power and greatest country on earth. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for subscribing. and We'll talk again tomorrow.